My experience was the great financial crisis. I was 30, I had properties. I thought I was the man, I had money in the bank, I had money in the market, all that. Guess what, two years later, I had nothing except my single family home and short sales and everything else. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. With me, uh, some of my uh, partners in crime, uh, Michael Dean and uh, Tune Ogolana with uh, Axial Family Advisors. We want to talk about GameStop and AMC and all this craziness in the market. Uh, even people that are not into the market or just seeing this and they're like, wow, what's going on? Like, could I have gotten rich? Should I, should I get in? Should I invest in uh, GameStop? Should I invest in AMC? Like, how is this happening? Like, how do people make, there are people that all of a sudden puts a few thousands in and they're millionaires. I mean, is there, people feel like they're missing out on stuff and they got to come in. So I want to, I want to talk to folks about that and explain it to people that uh, understand this, understand uh, what's going on in the market or understand the market generally. And I also want to just kind of give my commentary. So, you know, whenever you get ALC and Ted Cruz to agree on something, you know, the world is in a weird place. So we got (laughs) two people who are uh, outraged by the fact that there's a lot of powers that be uh, trying to stop people from trading these stocks. So I will give my uh, basic understanding of what's happening. You have some folks in Reddit, which is a application that allows people to communicate in these small micro communities. And there are people that uh, some of them were gamers. Some of them people that just wanted to stick it to the system. They saw an opportunity to do so. And so they got together on a Reddit thread together and they went and they said, let's go in on GameStop because we see, and I'm going to explain it from my point of view and I will have the experts explain. We see that there are some people on Wall Street that are trying to manipulate and make some money uh, by betting against GameStop. And we want to cost them money and interrupt the system in the process. So they got together, decided to do that. No one thought anything of it. All of a sudden, in a matter of a few weeks, uh, GameStop, which is a company that was worth relatively nothing from the overall perspective on the market, started just skyrocketing, just going through the roof. And then they started this conversation really going on uh, across the United States. And it's, it's caused a lot of disruption which disruption now within the market. As if you're paying attention to the market, you can see that that's what's going on now. This is So this is my perspective. I've heard people say, this is outrageous what they're doing. Some people, these are, I think, really the big boys, the insiders, the hedge funds. Like, this is awful. They're out here causing all of this disruption. They're manipulating the market. They shouldn't be doing this. This is not what a free market's about. My thing is, I see them just manipulating the market the same way the market always is manipulated. It's just... People are doing it in a method that uh, we haven't seen them do before, and that's making people uncomfortable, and that's making people figure out a way to uh, try to stop them, which I think makes things worse in my perspective. So I love to hear the perspective of the experts because I've been ran on a lot and just giving you my perspective without really being an expert or something. So Tune Day, Michael, you guys have at it. Well, first of all, thanks, Rob, for having us both on again. You know, obviously, it's always a pleasure you know, and I'll kind of start you know, through your settlement. This is actually what every brokerage firm has done for decades. You know, th- that's where the phrase get long, get loud, you know, came from. Right. And so for many years, hedge funds have been controlling Wall Street, you know, but now due to speed, 
due to no interest trades, due to the density of information, you know, retail trading is kind of giving that advantage to the little guy. And it's the true essence of, to your point, disruption to which now you have platforms like Reddit, which, you know, have, you know, 2.7 million people within Wall Street bets and that they can function as a as a hedge fund and can pick particular stocks to target. And now you have something in which now the, the, the figureheads at, top, at the top have to acknowledge and, and, and be able to try to defense against because they're going against all of the, the positions of short and then a lot of low flowed stocks and, and making those people have to cover at a very high um, rate. And so to your point, it's definitely investment disruption. Right. Um, and, and a short, and it, just to make sure people are short is just essentially you're, you're betting that you're going to buy a stock and you're betting that it's going to go down and you'll make money for it going down. Is that essentially right? That's correct. And so when someone is short a stock, they're buying a stock with the thought that the stock is going to go down. So they're borrowing a stock. And so they'll have to pay a broker a, a short interest fee um, to borrow that particular stock. And then if that stock goes down or up, they have to buy back the stock at that particular. So price. it's really bad if you bought a stock hoping it would go down. You have to you're going to it's going to cost you a lot of money if it goes way up. Absolutely. And short interest is the number of shares that have been sold but not yet covered. And so when you hear that short interest percentage, as E with GameStop, in which their short interest percentage was 136%. So just think about that. That's almost 40% more than the actual shares that's on the open market. And so it was a heavily shorted stock for a lot of different reasons, in which um, due to that factor, plus it being a low flow stock of 50. What does a low flow stock mean? Try to uh, break that down for people in the most simplest terms possible. Absolutely. So the the term flow um, comes from the number of shares that's issued to the public that is available for investors to trade. And so obviously the higher the float, the less volatility that stock is going to have because there's not as many shares on the open market. Got it. So all you mean is that there's more, there's more, the regular person has more ability to buy a bunch of uh, a, a part of that stock. Absolutely, we have, yeah. the, the the regular person has more capabilities of affecting the the stock price due to the fact that there is lower shares in the open market. Got it. There's okay. So like, I, and I try to tune now. I want to get to you. I I, I I try to just really make this as basic as possible for people. So like, if you're betting on a team, and you and you and you were betting that the Los Angeles Lakers were going to lose in the finals by 10, yep. right? And instead they win the finals by 20. Now you have to pay $30 million. <laughs> because, yeah, you have to pay those 10 points. So yes, you got to, exactly. You got to pay, points, not gotta, only did they not lose, now you got to pay on top of the amount they won by. So now absolutely. it's like they were supposed to win by, they're supposed to lose by 10. So you would have made, let's say $10 million. Now, instead of make, making $10 million, they won by 30 you are losing forty million dollars, <laughs> so you're losing the ten you you that the the difference that they were supposed to lose by. Plus, you got to pay the thirty million uh, the, the the thirty points that they ended up winning by. So you are losing a lot of money. This is why people are so pissed, and this is why. And I want to get to what happened with Robinhood, and, and too bad he has some good comments on this. It's people, I say people, hedge fund managers who have been doing this game for a long time are mad because these people outmaneuvered them. And now they got to it, it almost took them under or might have actually taken under some of these hedge funds that are used to dealing in. They don't deal in small. They don't deal in millions, hundreds of millions. They deal in billions and they're losing billions of dollars because of this. But 
I don't know. I think my perspective is that's how the market works. And when you take a bet, a short is a bet. It is a big risk. And they probably thought it wasn't that big of a risk because if you look at the fundamentals of GameStop, they certainly look like they're going down. But it's still a risk. And you can't and you take that type of risk. You have to live with the consequences if things like this happen. But Robin Hood today, Robin Hood, who who's they 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 advertise. They advertise that they are democratizing the process of investing. And they call themselves Robin Hood, which is about empowering poor people against the powerful. When this happened, Robin Hood stopped because they really didn't give a good answer. They said maybe fraud or something, but they we we partly know the reason. They're owned by one of these hedge fund companies that are getting affected. But it's just so interesting. Like, what do you think about Robin Hood's response and just this whole environment at this moment? Um, I mean, their response is their response. Obviously, they they they're. I'm sure I'll say it was a stupid response. I well, think it's I'm a dumb saying, response. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure they're they're caught flat-footed right now, and and obviously, like you're saying, this this disrupted their situation, um, you know, a thousandfold. So, I don't, you know, their response is their response. I think, um, you know, you've identified uh, the bigger issues in this whole thing, which is just a disruption of the norms of trading in Wall Street. Um, and and I just wanted to kind of piggyback a little bit on what Michael was saying about why this happened this week, because the, there's, there's a term called a short squeeze. And that's, that's exactly what describes what Michael was talking about, because the fact that the stock was not going down and these hedge funds were forced to buy the, back stock, sorry, buy the stock back at a higher price means that you still have a certain amount of shares out there. And the stock market is no different than a swap meet. It's all supply and demand. So what happens is that buying that the hedge fund community was forced to do on top of the demand that was coming from the retail, the couple million people through the Robin Hood and all the Reddit users created now an artificial demand for the same bucket of shares. And that's why you see a stock go from, you know, $30 to $300 in just two, three weeks. And so that is what the real issue is, is that somebody is going to be the human being that buys that stock at the last, what we call uptick, at the last, at the top, just like someone was the last person to buy that piece of real estate in 2007 at the top. And what happened after that, right? And so that's the risk here that you run when you're chasing these kind of companies. And that's what you and I joked about on the phone yesterday when we spoke that I have clients of mine calling me this week, asking me to get into GameStop. And my answer is, if you're calling me, it's too late. Um, because, <laughs> because, you know, you don't, you don't put quote unquote new money on a stock like this when it's already this high. And I definitely want to be clear because I'm, you know, securities licensed. I'm not here to give any stock advice on the show. But, you know, my joke to one of my clients was, I took a real quick a look at my phone at, at GameStop's earnings. 2020 numbers are already out. They had $6.8 billion in revenue last year. They actually lost $470 million. Um, yeah. As a comparison to Apple that just came out uh, with their earnings, just in the fourth quarter, they made $111 billion. Yeah. So if you're going to ask me which company would I want to put my dollar to trust that that dollar is going to work the right way and grow over time, it wouldn't be GameStop because I don't like putting money into companies that lose money. And, and not only it, that, and not only that, because we, yeah. we talked about this too, it's not only that they're losing money, 
is the model of what they're doing. It's not like it's not like it's not like Amazon. Amazon was losing money, I want to say, for 15, 20 years. But at least if you have an understanding of what you're investing in and you have some ability to see like this could generate money, that's still more risky. But at least it's following a strategy that's based upon something that hopefully you understand. So what I tell people and I'm not giving advice either because I'm not a stock expert, but I, I go back to what Warren Buffett said. Pretty, pretty simple, pragmatic advice. Invest in what you understand. Invest in what you understand and have a long-term strategy for doing so. So like if you understood, like I understood and I should have invested in Zoom. I was doing Zoom years ago and I knew it was going to get big. And during the pandemic, I would have, I should have, I should have done that because I knew that it was easy to use. I knew that people would use it uh, eventually at some point and I knew they would grow in scale. Because I understood how the technology worked and I understood how the business worked and I, and I saw that it was a sound strategy and it's a sound infrastructure. The problem with GameStop, as well as AMC and others, is that you know GameStop is, is built upon brick and mortar, brick and mortar, getting your games and exchanging them in person. And unless I'm wrong, I don't see any other model they have to make money. That model is going to end. It is ending. It is dying a death. Some say a slow death, but it's going to die. It's going to probably quicken in pace. Let me let me jump in because the, you're explaining exactly why what Michael explained was so true. Why there was 136 percent short interest in it, and why the hedge funds had exactly why that this stock should be shorted because they probably will go out of business. And you know they're hedge funds, right? They're supposed to make money up or down. So they're saying let's make money with this thing on the way down. That's why I would never advise anyone to buy GameStop stock. Now, today, because to your point, the valuation of that company has been bid up so much, they're not going to be able to meet that through sales of video games and other things through brick and mortar because that ain't going to happen. So getting back to the, the, the question you asked me about Robinhood, you know, I've got a kind of a way I think sometimes of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Meaning I never understood Robinhood or Betterment or any of those kind of companies. And again, not to sit here and disparage them, but the idea, what I'm saying is, you know, Fidelity is great. Vanguard's great. E-Trade, Ameritrade. I'm not trying to, you know, favoritize one discount broker, but there's so many areas that I've already existed for many years that you can go buy stocks and invest in the market and some at no cost. Now, I think Fidelity and many other companies, they've had this race to the bottom on cost. Charles Schwab, I believe, is another one where they, in certain part of their platforms, you may have no transaction costs, no trading costs, no nothing. So when these kind of newer things like the Betterments and Robin Hoods came up, I kind of look at those with suspicion. Like, why would I need to go there when I can just go? These things already exist and they're pretty much going to be free, like to trade. So, so, you know, it goes back to the Facebook, the, 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 all these kind of things, right? At some point, you're kind of the product. And so that's where I got suspicious with Robin Hood. What's going on? What are they selling behind the scenes? How are they making money if it's so right. good and, and great for the little guy here? And then they just recently got fined $75 million for something that had nothing to do with what's going on now. Yep. And it was for, you know, I think point shaving and all that meaning, you know, they were they were taking little little penny profits off trades from from their own customers. Yep. And now we got this. If you're not the uh, goes to your point, if you're not the customer, you're the product. They're yeah. they're they're leveraging and, your information. Nothing nothing is completely free. Nothing is. Yeah. You got to pay and, for it. And 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 now they're doing this. And that's why I think when 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 you know, I, if I was a customer of Robin Hood and they stopped me from trading one of these stocks, yeah, I'd be upset too. 
because if I'm on Fidelity or Vanguard or E-Trade platform, they're not stopping me. Yeah. And their name so, is Robinhood. It goes, it also goes against just their core marketing theme. And I don't get the strategy, but okay. Well, and, and what, so what, what upsets me about these kind of things when they happen is, you know, the financial markets are kind of their own ecosystem. And like in all ecosystems, there's, there's big boys at the top that take advantage of things and they got lobbying and all that. And if a firm like Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley does certain things versus me doing it as the little guy in this industry, they might get away with it. I might get a slap on the wrist. That's real life. And that's something we all live with in various business sectors or real yeah. life stuff, right? So I understand and, I, and I, I've had some clients tell me, oh, I really like what happened this week because, you know, stick it to the big guys and all that. It ain't pretty, you know what? Because and it's funny; those same yeah. clients are the ones telling me, "Hey, man, can you get me out of the market? Because I'm scared it's going to drop now." <laughs> and that's kind of my point. I'm like, "Yeah, David and Goliath's a fun story, but in the world of finance, Goliath means stability." And sometimes, like, no, sometimes no, Goliath means stability. I know the system, yeah. meaning the big banks and all that. I'm not saying that they're good; that they're always uh, doing everything right. above board and that they don't have any blame. What I'm saying though is that. Those are the norms of our system. That's true. That yeah. The way that the big banks operate, the way that they do things on margin. You know, if you want to see hedge funds get margin calls, that's not going to be fun for us on the retail side because that's what happened last year in March when, yeah. when the market dropped 35% in three weeks. So, you know, you could sit there and that's what I started thinking this week. The internet is so amazing because we've seen it disrupt the norms um, in our political world and our cultural world over the last decade or so, which culminated in the insurrection in Washington, right? Like meaning the internet through, through, through social media and all these groups, you had people that were on the fringes of a lot of conversations that were able to coordinate into groups online and mobilize to storm the Capitol. That wouldn't have happened 30 years ago, 20 years ago, because, you know, there wasn't a way for people to communicate like that. Sure. And it disrupts the norms of our political system. Right. And then we all, whether you like it or not, what happened, all of us seem a little bit uncomfortable with where the country is politically. No yeah. matter what your politics are, everyone's kind sure. of in the same boat of, I don't like this. And what I saw this week was, wow, the Internet's doing this now to the, to the markets. That the same thing. Groups that otherwise small retail investors that are on the fringe of the market society have been able to gather and collude together in groups online to manipulate the price of stocks right. and then also to disrupt the apple cart of the norms and the people that are normally at the top. Just like the insurrection upset the apple carts of people at the top of politics, senators, Congress people, presidents, whatever. This is upsetting the apple cart of right. those at the top of Wall and Street. I, and I have a little different view on that. And let me just jump in a little bit. I, I do think it's interrupted the norms. I don't I don't equate it to what happened as an exact metaphor to January 6th. I think it's more accurate to say the election of Donald Trump was the uh, was more accurate to what happened with with Reddit and the GameStops because no one expected Trump to win and Trump did win. Based upon the same premise, the same, the same. Yeah, you're right. Based on the, the same career, thing, right? Yeah. And then That's he took that, norms. and then he then he weaponized that to levels we haven't seen, which I think led to January 6th. Why well, I think these are important distinctions is because 
we're not going to get back to a point where we're, we have the internet, we have human nature. And what we got to do is figure out how do we build an ecosystem that is more equitable across the board? Because people are, it used to be that people in, in hedge funds and Wall Streets or political class could have one conversation, kind of hide it and pretend like it didn't happen or have one conversation. And maybe there were some benefits to that. Like Lyndon Johnson used to be able to say, he used to be able to say crazy stuff to his white supporters that's, that was probably racist, say another thing to black supporters. But then he was able to pass the 1965 Civil Rights Act and no one was able to tell the difference because they couldn't record exactly what he said a year ago versus now and it couldn't be used against them. Perhaps that was, the, that, was a, that was a world when we can get more accomplished. We don't live in that world anymore because now there is no secrets. Like we know what's happening all across the board. And so we have to, and I don't have the answer to this, we, we are in a world where we have more information doesn't make us more informed. We have uh, more connection and we have to figure out how we're going to make a more equitable and, and a more transparent and at the same time, a world we can get along better. And that requires us to possibly build new and better systems to respond to what's going on in this moment. That's what I see going on as a bigger picture, right? Because we're not going to, we're not going to make people just be satisfied with hedge funds manipulating, but then telling people they can't do the same thing and try to, <laughs> so people are, it's just very hard. Well, I, but my thing about the hedge funds is, like, I, I don't really see anything wrong that's happened this week with GameStop. I mean, this is the market. And Neither do I. You get in now. Neither do I. But 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 they, the but, but, but is, they do though, right? No, they but do. but the issue is really that Robinhood is partially owned by a hedge fund. I'm that's sure the that, issue. Have, that that issue, you know, I'm sure that hedge fund's upset because they probably had short interest in a lot of these stocks, and they're. But what I'm saying is that's more to that situation. Yeah. As opposed to because there could have been hedge funds out there that were long, you know, um, meaning they weren't shorting, but they owned the stocks hoping they'd appreciate for GameStop and Macy's. Right. And I got no problem with that. It's just, and, look, this and is they, the game. And they may have made money. And exactly. So, this is the game. Like, you yeah. can call them the wrong side of it. This is why it is. It's risky to short even when you think it's not. It's still a major risk. And hedge funds make their money off it. I want to get to a point because, Michael, we, you haven't been in in a while. We talked about this before we started the broadcast. We can use this opportunity to learn, to see that the folks in Reddit had a strategy for investing. And perhaps us as a community can think about how we can do that. Speak a little more to that. Yeah, absolutely. And so honestly, guys, this is no different than anything that happens in the day trading world, right? This is just traditional momentum trading. And so in normal day trading worlds, you know, the day trader wakes up, he looks for earnings, he looks for partnerships, he looks for mergers, right? He looks for press releases and, and that's how he, he strategizes to trade that particular day. And so, you know, if you think back to last September in which, you know, the Black Lives Matter thing with George Floyd and everything started to transpire, um, you know, they, they coined these stocks BLM stocks and they were Urban One and Carver and, you know, Corner Company and, and those stocks tr traditionally ran anytime there was there were any types of riot news or what have you. And so, you know, if you look at it the other way, we as a community and a race can can learn from what's going on and focus on black owned companies or companies that have great social missions and really see the power of influence that you can have if you were able to rally together. Right. And purchase these these strongly uh, you know situated stocks and be able to not only benefit benefit from them from a short term perspective, but also help these businesses, you know, grow and evolve and become, you know, strong 
companies as well. And so not only just looking at it from just a disruption perspective, but how can we take the same premise, right? And be able to make sure that we do the analytics and make sure that we do due diligence, but be able to go and support black owned companies and, and help them substantiate themselves in the private market and also, you know, have ownership in those firms as well. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's right. I mean, think about a strategy that we, these tools now exist It's the, the process has been democratized and it, it's, there's definitely going to be disruption. Um, it's definitely going to disrupt norms. And I think what we have to figure out is how do we make a way to have more generational impact as a long-term strategy? This is what, what, what people on Reddit and other folks are doing. Perhaps some people got, got rich. Good. A lot of people are, more people are going to lose their money than get rich or it's going to, it's going to all play out. Right. At, at, at the end of the day, uh, we talk about bubbles. I want to just talk about that briefly. We, we had a, one of our uh, shows is with Robert Greene and he, we had a section there who's the uh, author of the laws of human nature and the 48 laws of power. And he, we, we talked with him a lot about bubbles. He said the most dangerous language in the, in, in, in all of human history is this time it's different. Like everybody feels like this time it's different. In 2006, it was different. Uh, you know, with GameStop now it's different. We have a movement. It's going to keep going. We're going to keep rising. It will not. It's going to end like every single bubble has ended in the history of the world. Uh, it's going to pop. A lot of people are going to get screwed. Mostly retail investors, regular investors, they're going to try to put their money, their savings that a lot can't afford to lose, and they're going to lose it because GameStop is not worth $300 a share. It is not. AMC is not worth that. No stock that shoots up 1,500% or whatever in a couple of weeks is worth that. You should always be very, very... If you see a stock rising or you see any bubble trending that way, uh, don't feel like you're being left out. You know, just be just be thankful that you didn't lose your money in the process like lots of other people are going to. I don't know if you guys have thoughts about how you really keep clients or people out of the mode of wanting to just feel like they're not missing out. That's kind of the thing. Like every, humans don't want to miss out. Before I go to you guys, you know, this point that Robert Greene brought up was just, I think, enlightening. He brought up an old point from a, uh, one of the one of the bubbles that went that go back about three or four hundred years uh, might be longer than that. So Isaac Newton was around then. It was the South Sea stock bubble, same type of thing. I'm not going to go through it, but it was a bubble. Everybody thought they were getting rich. Everyone looked like they were getting rich. Uh, Isaac Newton saw it for what it was. You know, he found the founding of uh, mathematics. You would think he would see the logic behind it, and he did. But then he saw all these people getting rich. He said, "Okay, I got to get into it." Then he got into it, and he lost his money. And that tells you somebody as smart as him could be fooled. We got to pull ourselves back and, 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 and don't allow ourselves to fall into the emotion of the moment where it looks like we're missing out on this chance to get rich. That's my thoughts. I don't know. Is there any other thoughts about bubbles? Yeah. And that's the one thing, Rob, that, you know, that I love about Axial and what we afford our clients is that we really preach diversification, but also risk tolerance. Right. And so, you know, we want to make sure that any of our clients do not have all of their eggs in one in one basket. We really want to make sure that they diversify through a plethora of different investment platforms so that they can have strong investments across the spectrum and then also tie those portfolios into their risk tolerance. And so to your point, day trading is not for everyone. It should not be something that generates long term investable wealth. Um, it's something that has a very high risk tolerance. It has a high risk and reward and it should be approached as such. And so to your point, you know, 
having your portfolio solely focused on these penny stocks is not the most feasible way of of creating substantial generational wealth. Um, but then it, it is a way to create short term, you know, funds, and 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 you have a lot of successful individuals in that in that space that that does so on a daily basis. And so I definitely would not recommend anyone just jumping in due to the fact of fear of missing out and, and jumping into a GameStop or AMC um, just to try to make a quick buck. Um, I definitely think they should be able to understand the risk tolerance that comes as such, but also be able to have a financial entity that they, that they trust to help them substantiate their long-term financial goals and be able to map those goals to the market as well. Yeah. I mean, today, back to your point, this is this is where you and I do find agreement. I think despite how much disruption there is, there are, there are still fundamentals that apply. And, and you should still understand uh, what you're investing in. You should, I think people should still get advisors. Um, I mean, unless you have, there are people that have the time and capacity and have the uh, capability to uh, implement their own strategy and they should do it. But I also think they should get, people should get advice. People should get advice. People should seek advice. And while we have a lot of information, it doesn't make you more informed because you got to figure out where you're getting the information. The information has to be verified. The information has to be quality. There's a whole lot of information out there that is not accurate. That's just a bunch of opinion. And people are just trying to sell you something, but they don't really have any tangible knowledge. So I, I really advise people, it's you know why I work with you, but also I just tell people it's you should get you should still stick to the basics, even when you are investing in uh, disruptive technologies. If you don't, if you don't have an understanding of how it can grow, if you don't have a, if you don't have, if you don't know how you can value it, uh, then you shouldn't invest in it. Yeah, no, and I think that um, for me, uh, psychology is key. What I realized in in doing this now twenty years, I can't believe it's that long. Yeah, you get old, dog. Um, there's, yeah, there's um, there's. Uh, you really got to look at the psychology of, in my case, of the client, right? The person I'm working with. And, and you know, one of my uh, favorite things to tell people when I start working with them is I look them in the eye and tell them, you know, my job is not to make you rich. That's your job. Um, that's partially why I like working with entrepreneurs and, 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 and that type of folks, because, you know, what I'll usually say, especially if it's a business owner, that they can probably make a lot more money investing a dollar in their company then I will make them investing in the stock market over time. Because to your point, we've got a term in this kind of industry called everything reverts back to the mean. And that's why things like bubbles are real. You know, they, things don't go like this forever. Gravity brings them back down. And the, the, I just saw something recently as we've hit the new year here in 2021. And it was a study about the last 100 years of the Dow Jones and the S&P 500, you know, basically the broad U.S. stock market. And like clockwork, it was basically averaged 10% a year from 1920 to 2020. And that's with all the ups and downs and the world wars and the Great Depression and all that. And you're just averaging a solid 10% a year. So last year, the NASDAQ did 43% return in 2020. So that just tells me, you know, it's going to revert back to the mean at some point, right? I don't know when, I don't have a crystal ball, but this is, you're not going to sustain 40% a year forever. That's just, that's just too far divergent from the, from the historical average. And when you really extrapolate it out 30,000 feet, why is the market somewhat predictable over long periods of time? 
And to Michael's point about day trading and all that, it's very unpredictable in short periods of time, days, weeks, months, is because in the end, all we're talking about is a collective, the collective behavior of human beings, right? And that's what we're talking about, the fear of missing out. And that's why I say things like psychology. And that's why I like to be upfront about my attitude when I'm new working with someone that don't come here, give me a hundred grand, expecting me to turn it to five million in six months. This isn't a casino. This isn't, you know, you know, hitting the lottery. Slow and steady wins the race. Tortoise, not the hare. And so um, with that said is, you know, what is the psychology behind the person that's investing? Are they the type that want to gamble and treat it like it's a poker game? Or are they the one that wants to, you know, be the long-term one. All that's important. And I think for people that are investing, it's important to look inward and learn who you are as an investor or as one of these type of risk takers. And then the other thing is, I think the three of us here, because we're in our 40s, you know, we're, I can't believe it might, we're middle-aged. Um, <laughs> but my point you claim is, that, is I'm that, not claiming that. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're the youngest one on here, by the way. We'll give you that credit. Um, but you're still in your 40s. Um, but um, <laughs> you can't escape us. Um, but no, but my point is, is that, you know, this is what I like about being in this age range is we're long enough where I can say old enough where I can say I worked in this industry 20 years, but we're still young enough where I can say, okay, I look forward to the next 20 years. So what my point is getting is that I think it takes a lot of, you know, you got to go through it. My experience was the great financial crisis. I was 30. I had properties. I thought I was the man. I had money in the bank. I had money in the market, all that. Guess what? Two years later, I had nothing except my single family home and short sales and everything else. And I'm not ashamed to share it. I feel like it made me a much better financial planner over time, having gone through those negative experiences and learning you know, that it's not that easy to buy low and sell high like it sounds. And when you, it's your own money, you're emotional, you end up a lot of times you know, buying high and selling low. Because that's what the emotional state forces you to do. So you got to train yourself. You got to go through these things like other things in life. You got to fail a bit and then learn how you deal with the failure. And then you can start disciplining your emotions to move forward and not fail again in the same way. So I think all that comes into play. And that's why you guys are right. My nervousness about this is we've got two plus million retail investors that have never done this really much before. Most of them young. Most of them, even on margin, which is basically mean in our world, that's on credit, that they borrow the money from the Robin Hoods or the other brokerage firms to buy more stock. And usually people that are inexperienced, when they start seeing their money go down, the first thing they do is sell. And like I said about, you don't want the banks putting margin calls on the hedge funds and other big institutions, because what that does is it forces everybody to sell at the same time. And just under a year ago, you know, March of 2020, that happened and it caused the market to go down 35% in three weeks. Because when everyone's selling at the same time, what does that mean? I mean, no one, there's no buyer out there to make a floor. And so what you want to do for those listening is you want to have cash when that happens. Because <laughs> usually what happens is the, the selling pressure is so strong that if something has a fair value of here and it was here when they started selling, it may end up going down below actually what the fair market value really would be because the selling pressure is so strong. So that's when those with cash, that old term, when there's blood in the streets, you want to be buying. The problem is most people don't have cash because they're all selling at a loss. So that's why patience, strategic patience is key. And also the last thing I'll put here is 
you want to have a sell discipline. So anyone listening to this that did own or does own GameStop, I don't know when this gets released because GameStop's moving so fast in two, three weeks, maybe it's worth nothing. But <laughs> let's say today, you know, Friday it closed at, uh, I think, 300 bucks. So had someone that's listening to this, let's say, owned it at 30 bucks, I would say, you know, you want to have a sell discipline. You want to start selling at some point. Remember that the point is buy low, sell high. And I find that a lot with my clients with psychology as well. Once it goes high and they've made the money and I'm hammering them, hey, let's, let's harvest some of these gains. You know, don't get greedy. No, no, no. We've got to stay. I wanna, I'm not going to sell. I got, okay, well. And then a year later, it careens back down. Oh, Tunde, you know, we should have sold. Or why didn't you tell me to sell? Well, you know, I did tell you. <laughs> and so and so that's why that's why case notes are important <laughs> and emails <laughs> but but no but on a serious note that's where i think we all got to look internally and say you know who am i and how do i exist in this space of investing and risk taking and going back to the point earlier is you got to try it and fail a bit and see how you react to that and if you can react to it well and stay disciplined and get back up and fight another day, great. And we have a lot of clients that aren't in the market. They don't like stocks. They don't like the ups and downs. And that's OK, too. I'm not here to convince someone to do something that they're not comfortable with. But, yeah, this is going to be an interesting however this ends. We should have another yeah. show after. Yeah, that, that, first. I'm going to make a prediction how this ends. I see no ending other than GameStop being a lot lower than what it is right now. Uh, <laughs> That's probably out of everything I've read through Wall Street this week. That was the smartest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but until next time, I'm Rob Richardson. I'm Tunde Romana. I'm Michael Dean. And we'll see you next time.